Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are our own, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are also my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we're joined by special guest Colonel Brian Iavito, the commanding officer of the Marine Corps Cyberspace Operations Group, the Macaque. Thanks for joining us. Could you give us a quick intro? Absolutely. So glad to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I'm enjoying my 31st year of service in our Marine Corps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm that old guy. I'm that old guy. <laughs> uh, you know, enlisted in 1993, you know, right out of high school, uh, managed to use one of our commissioning programs. So, you know, small computer operator system programmer, repair tech back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I see. I see you, Kyle. I see you. I feel you, brother. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, became a lieutenant, became a communications officer because I didn't know where I wanted to be in the Marine Corps, which, you know, has really provided me like so many such great opportunities. So, you know, I, I have the privilege to serve with, you know, the infantry, the artillery, special operations early on in my career. Uh, you know, had the opportunity to go to Naval Postgraduate School and, and fly satellites, uh, learn to be a deception planner, work the nuclear C-3 mission, NC-3 mission, uh, one of the few nuclear advanced trained Marines that you'll find. Forgotten everything I learned, but it's on my master brief sheet. It's kind of a neat <laughs> touch point, right? Um, went on recruiting duty, which is where I really learned to appreciate people and diversity and the whole idea of like recruiting people, retaining people, skilling them, upskilling them, that type of thing, which is so relevant to what we do in cyber, IT, right? Just the technology field in general. Uh, went to the School of Advanced Warfighting where I learned to plan, 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 but most importantly, to assess that plan. And so often in IT, you know, and I'm sure someone's going to hit me up, well, how do you decide? Do you look at data? Well, that taught me that you have to have an assessment plan. You have to look at quantitative things to back up the choices you make and inform them. And there's the qualitative piece. You look at the map differently than me. We interpret the data differently. We just make better decisions, right? Like we do more than me. So that's a great thing there. You know, was able to command at uh, 9th Communication Battalion. You know, that was an absolute privilege. Uh, Definitely learned, you know, Fleet Marine Force, Marine Expeditionary Force, MAG Taffery, Marine Air Ground Task Force, Task Organized Combat Forces and all its all its glory. Uh, and then I went to the College of Information and Cyberspace. Go, John. Uh, yes. Brad. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the 8 to 12 school like some of the others are reportedly to be. It was definitely like 730 to 1630 and reading every single night and everybody made fun of us. I see you not enriched. That kind of hurts my feelings a little bit, but it's true. <laughs> uh, and then after that, I had the opportunity to go be the military assistant to Department of Defense CIO. First, the Honorable Dana DZ, and then uh, the Honorable John Sherman, as well as Dr. Kelly Fletcher, who's now the CIO of the State Department. So being around these senior executives uh, kind of taught me, you know, as a colonel, you can say there's 600 of us, there's 600, a lot of the big tech companies, you know, vice president type, we're maybe executives, but not that level. So I got to see that. I got to learn the planning programming, budget execution process. What does money mean? A whole lot more than I ever wanted to. And then I got to work in the headquarters, deputy coming up for information. Uh, and then I, you know, every, every dog has its day. I got selected to command the uh, Marine Corps Cyberspace Operations Group. And, you know, talk, start off talking about the opportunities the Marine Corps provided me. You know, I'm a 2023-24 fellow for Seminar 21 at MIT. So 
just adding in this whole geopolitics thing. So really over this 31 years, what I've done is started, you know, kind of IT, com, cyber, right? Seen the circle go full circle, but cyber, the geopolitical piece, right? Deploying, but now learning out about it at a high level. And then, you know, the economics, the budgeting, what the top line budget means, how that works, why we care about Congress and all that with the military. So when people talk about cyber strategy, it's kind of like you have to put in context of, of the world and the money, invest to divest, all those things. So that's kind of the path that got me here uh, where I get to wake up every day and be one of the people who get to go to work uh, at Team Macog, which is just I have a pinch me moment at least twice a week where I'm like, how did I get here? Do they know I'm here and in charge? And it's just a great, great job. I really enjoy it. Hey, Brian, real quick, I wanted to ask a follow-up because we haven't got a chance to talk about this on the cast, and we really need to. Uh, CIO, Chief Information Officer, actually has some pretty big ramifications downstream. Could you give us a quick explanation of what the CIO is and why any Marine in the field would care about that? Absolutely. So the the Chief Information Officer in the Office of the Secretary of Defense uh, reports directly to the Deputy Secretary of Defense and, and the SecDef, sets the high-level policy. Let's just put it, in, let's look at data. So uh, 21 or 22 when I was there, the cyber IT budget for the Department of Defense is was $50.8 billion, about 10 or, you know, but a bit of that for cyber, most of that for IT, but $50.8 billion was kind of what it was. With, with, a, B. with a B. With a B. And that year, I want to say top line for the Marine Corps before plus up was like $46 billion. So what does the CIO mean? It means the DOD CIO is dealing with money that we can tell is IT or cyber. He has a larger budget for IT than the entire Marine Corps, which tells you the Marine Corps is awesome and you get us on the cheap maybe. But Hell of it just value. goes to, you know, he certifies, he certifies our budget. So he sets the top he or she sets the top line priorities, and then we have to go through the PPE process, right, POM cycles, and make sure that the capabilities, our Title 10 man resource train equipped capabilities in the cyber IT realm adequately fund the priorities set by the Department of Defense via the CIO. So that's kind of the money talks in, you know, the Pentagon, and that's sort of how it works and how he drives what we do. So. He says things, for example, zero trust, right? That's a hot topic. He says we need to do zero trust. There's a congressional mandate. We have to do it by this time. And then he looks to see that we are putting, and zero trust isn't necessarily something you can buy in a box. We can talk about it if we want, right? You can go and get SaaS. But for us, where we need to do it, hybrid, multi-cloud, multi-classification levels, it's a whole bunch of laundry list of things that get us across the seven pillars. So the policy letter he signs is absolutely driving what we're going to field to the Marine Corps. That's kind of the connecting file. All right. So I just want to make a couple quick comments there. First off, thanks for explaining the CIO process. That was hyper informative. And I hope that everyone got something out of that. I also want to double click on the fact that no, contrary to popular belief in corporate America, you cannot add zero trust to cart and prime overnight. It. But uh, Brian, I love that your first 31 years have been such an incredibly well-rounded event. The next 31 I'm super excited about, but just it's not often that we have someone who started out as an enlisted like communicator and went officer and got the opportunity to do what I will call uh, the more traditional like you know infantry combat arms and then is able to come back into the cyber realm with all of that tactical experience who can look uh, you know big blue arrow to just use all the euphemisms and, and metaphors that I can in this conversation to 
better support the Marine Corps at the MACOG. So super awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And before we dig too deep into all the questions that we want to ask here, can you please reset us? So we've had MACOG on the cast before, but let's just pretend we've never had them. What is the MACOG and why do any of our listeners care about that? Well, today's MACOG is not the MACOG of old. Uh, we have, you know, we have a mission statement like everybody that's a big, giant run-on sentence. Uh, but let's break a couple things out on it. So we operate, we secure, we defend the Marine Corps Enterprise Network. And we do this in general support of the fleet Marine Forces. So those are your Marine Expeditionary Forces, your tactical units, and the supporting establishments. So base, post, camp, station, those type of forces there. Uh, we conduct Department of Defense Information Network operations and defensive cyberspace operations, internal defensive measures. We don't do all of the internal defensive measures. There's a couple couple pieces that are held up at the cybercom uh, level, MAR4 cyber level, but we do the blue space pieces. We exercise command and control. We provide forces, communications control, and cybersecurity services. We are the single authorized cybersecurity service provider for the Marine Corps, and that's that's a, a really big deal for us. Uh, and we do this to enable freedom of action across all the warfighting domains and functions for our forces while denying the same to our adversaries. Uh, the Marine Corps today, we're in a time of competition, right? And we talked the escalation from competition to crisis to conflict. You know, our generals talk contact layers. You know, we are an operational warfighting command at the MACOG. We are in contact with the adversary every single day. And while we are in competition, from time to time, it gets a little spicy. And for us, it may look a little more crisis-like, but we do what we need to do. Our professionals do the job extremely well to keep it in competition and avoid any uh, escalation. So can I jump in there and ask for, for a second then to better understand this? At the end of the day, is the MACOG then, is, is crisis just a Tuesday for you? Is that where you kind of train to get to? So my, my, my three, Don Maldonado, Lieutenant Colonel type, one wonderful human being and, and, and bleeds all over his keyboard, does everything for our team. He will tell you when we get a threat brief and all this stuff and it's scary, scary. He's like, eh, that's Tuesday. I love it. Yes. Yes, it, 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 that, that's Tuesday for us, and we love it. It's challenging. I think that's how we're able to attract the talent that we have and retain the talent we have in an environment where it's extremely hard for everybody, You know, whether you're on the government side or out in industry to find the right people. Uh, so, so the biggest thing for us is you know, we used to have two mission essential tasks. We now have 12. Five of those are for the service. Seven of those are joint. So what people don't realize is we are a we are a U.S. Cyber Command force. We are service assigned to the Marine Corps, Mar 4 Cyber. So they have OpCon. Uh, we now have three network battalions. Those are my cyberspace maneuver forces. And we do, it's a warfighting domain. We do maneuver logically and physically because we have laydowns for every continent except Antarctica, but we could get Get you calm there if you got real deep pockets. Uh, and, and, and we do these things and we leverage some of the joint authorities and stuff that we have and capabilities to support the Marine Corps. But we do like our Marine Corps red team that we're very proud of with their proprietary trade craft. One of the DOD certified red teams, you know, they will do stuff at time, you know, time and place of uh, Cybercom or JF, 
HQ Doden's choosing. They'll go do stuff for some other services, look at it, which is important because it gets them reps and sets. So when they're looking at our blue space, you know, they, they test, they assess, they aggress, right? When they look at our blue space, you know, being able to go and look at other people's really helps them be better informed when they look at ours. Hey, this was good. Bring that back. Hey, this was an issue. You know, bring that back and make sure we don't have that issue. So it's, it's really, really great. And then by having the network battalions, and the network activities that are geographically dispersed uh, in general support of the regional forces, be they fleet marine force or supporting establishment, are really able to allow us to flex how we support and how we warfight in this domain. And Brian, when you went from two Mets to 12, was that were you kind of Keanu Reeves, whoa, or was it more like, eh? We were doing this already, and it's very nice that that's now officially codified. So, so I am an inheritor of it. They they got approved on my on my watch. I, I'd love to claim it, but Tom Cleaver, uh, great American who uh, was the steward of the Macaw before I took over, he uh, got this rolling, and, and we got him approved. And it makes it makes complete and total sense with the way that we are organized and the way that we are missioned. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna. I, I wish I could read them off for you, but. I, I can't in this forum, but they just make sense that they work. Uh, and what they do is they really take advantage of the fact that we fight an instrumented war fighting platform, that we take Intel, open source, exquisite national level Intel, and we use that to adjust how we operate, how we secure and how we defend, which includes hunt, which includes insider uh, threat things. And because we're getting this telemetry, we generate data as we operate secure defend the network that we can then feed back into the calculator. So we have an actual ops intel cycle. You know, 0730 every morning, we're in a commander's update brief with our commanding general. You know, and there, because of General Heritage's authorities across the McKick, his five hats like Marfor Space, all of that, we're able to watch how we synchronize, you know, the information warfighting function and then we take the specific pieces that apply to the cyberspace domain that we operate secure defend in, and we're really able to get a holistic look. But if there are space authorities that I don't have, but we put things, you know, space, right? There are payloads that pass comm and do cyber things for us. We can reach up to the Marine Corps Information Command, which is one of General Heritage's hat. And right there, we can be like, hey, you know, we, we have this mission that's maybe doing using some SATCOM. We'd like to do a thing. Marfor Space is there. He has the authorities to put together all the units that he either retains, service retained, or are assigned uh, from the combat commander. So it's really great stuff. Hey, sir, uh, that was awesome. Uh, and I, I just want to throw a couple things out before I ask you your next uh, set of questions here. But uh, for, for the listeners, right, Ed Debish, Tom Cleaver, now Brian Iavito just an amazing lineage of Marine officers that have taken over in the past few years and, and just driven the MACOG forward. So just want to say thanks to your predecessors and for what you're doing, sir. Um, the next thing that I wanted to mention is you, you talk about quantitative and qualitative measures, and it was beautiful that you opened up with that uh, because my experience both in the private sector and you know that now in the Marine Corps has been that highly effective organizations seek operational excellence, and they do that by measuring themselves against a standard. 
right? Whether that's the Marine Corps and what the Commandant is driving with standards-based operations or kind of what, what we do in IT. Uh, so to that point in my rant here, the listeners know that I'm hugely a fan of data-driven decisions. Um, and so can you talk to us about the metrics that you care about that make you operationally excellent um, to know if you're hitting the mark or if you, to use a Marine Corps phrase, have to adjust fire? So tech makes all things possible, right? But people are where it starts. So I'm just going to start off and this might blow people's minds and they're welcome to hit me up uh, on LinkedIn or whatever if they don't agree. But probably some of the most important metrics, you know, I just took command 90 days in are going to be Defense Equal Opportunity Climate Survey and the Ground Safety Climate Assessment Survey because I need to recruit and retain people. I need people to have a positive environment that's cohesive, that's high morale, where people want to work or we will lose them. And all the tech in the world isn't worth anything if I don't have the right people. And those people using the tech develop the processes that allow us to do that. I'm not a dumb guy. I'm not a dumb guy. I'm not a smart guy, but I'm not dumb. Everybody at the McCaug is smarter than me. I go around and they're doing something that even if I did it, even if I did it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and I, we still kind of do things at that level, they're doing it at a level in a way and looking at the problem and, and, and are empowered to do more than we ever were back then. So I'm just in awe of the people. So those are some of the metrics that I look at. For myself, you know, I volunteered uh, for the pilot for the 360 survey. I care how I'm perceived by the people that lead me, I work with and lead. Uh, so people, 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 people first. That's my top priority. However, it's an instrumental warfighting platform. So we're talking tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of alerts. So we use a lot of AI, a lot of automation to work through that. So we get alerts. We break down where they come from, where are they happening? Logical, physical, how does that work? When we do our weekly like operations and intel we look at our ccirs where something happens and we go through the numbers when was it down how long was it down before it was noticed how long to respond we do deep causative research it's almost like pilots something happens you hot wash it you know hand hands and airplanes on sticks but you you do it over and over and over and over and you measure 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 so you may have a router in one place that we won't name, but there's a router in a place that just keeps breaking over, over, over. We watch it, watch it, watch it. And after a couple of times, the data leads us to something that you just wouldn't have thought of. You just wouldn't have thought of, right? Because we didn't and other people didn't. And we were able to fix it. So we look at that. Things like our enterprise service desk, anywhere from 25 to 30,000 trouble tickets a month. And by whichever industry, and there's several that we, we look at, any industry standard that you use, you know, we have a 76 to 79% first call close rate. That's phenomenal. We have uh, in the Marine Corps, where we ask people to take a survey, we have a 90 plus percent satisfaction rate, you know, six to 16 minute ish first call close rate. That's absolutely impressive. You know, we're able to do that. Not only that, but the team there, we look at them you know, on the boards in real time, you're walking, who's on call, who's ready, who's off call, who's, you know, in standby. So we run a enterprise level 
industry standard help desk. We look at these and, you know, it becomes the canary in the coal mine. And that's my OPSOS thing is we watch the trouble tickets and you see a trouble ticket or two. Okay, that's neat. But all of a sudden you see 14 in a 15 minute time span. It tells our 24 seven watches to, hey, go look at this thing. And then you can look and see that something's happening, right? And then you can track and trend those over time so you can tell where are we having outages? Are they logical? Is it physical? Is it power? Did somebody just, you know, did a fire suppression system that was just being tested accidentally go off somewhere? These things happen. So that's just some of the ways that we use uh, data to drive what we're doing. Weapons and Tactics Instructor 1TAC24 is going on right now, and we have an assessment team out there with a formal assessment plan who are looking at not just the network and the systems, but they're looking at the users, the time to perform tasks on these systems and the way that we have it configured. If we change this thing, can we do it better? We brought the Marine Corps Test and Evaluation Group out to do that. Nicotia, we brought McTissa out to look at the technical pieces. So we're looking at it from multiple different angles so that you know the people, the processes, the tech, the security, and uh, user experience, which is important to us as well. So I want to ask a couple quick questions just because, um, you know, Brian, you've been around this game for a long time and, and all of the metrics that I'm about to pull out of uh, my history are now a decade old. But I'm going to just make an assumption for everyone listening and for everyone here on this cast that a 76% first call close rate and a 90% satisfaction rate are things that NMCI has never been able to claim and that most of the help desks that any of you have ever interacted with, whether you're listening or, or consuming this a hundred years in the future, will ever see. Like that is a massive data point of how you're getting things done on a daily basis. Like I, I, I want to just understand that slightly better if I can. What do you do to achieve those numbers? Like like you mentioned use of AI and things like that, but how are you providing that level of support and service? So the big thing is, you know, thinking back to, hey, when back in a comm unit running a help desk, it's some Marines with a table doing, you know, God willing, the river don't rise, doing, doing the work and making things happen. This is absolutely industry standard. The systems and everything that they are on are tracking every single thing that they're doing, uptime, downtime. We're hiring very good people. And, you know, what we really learned through COVID, you know, with, with telework is that it's an enterprise service desk. You can do it from anywhere. So we have some places where there are other people with help desks or other data facilities where we can put people in so that we can tap talent markets in different geographic locations so we can ensure that we get enough talent and that we staff it accordingly. Uh, and that's kind of the key things. If you watch the metrics and your metrics driven, then you can see when you have the right people. And then you look at call rates throughout the day and you can see that as your shift numbers change based on the support, you can see the little red where maybe you have a little influx of calls that don't quite get answered as quickly as you would like or outside your standard that you're aiming for, your goal, because you didn't have enough people. And you can switch, you know, and again, good contracting, good team where you're able to switch shift coverage because something's going on and you look, well, there was somebody had an exercise going on in Norway and we had some tickets that came from there at this time because there's a time, you know, time difference, right? Heading that way. So we know that when something like that happens in the future, we need to adjust how we staff it. I mean, we really nug down, we look at it, they look at it every day, Mr. Kirk Carson out there, who's, who's, who's leading the charge for us, just doing, just doing great stuff. So 
that's just one of the ways that we look at it. Everything is everything on a modern on a modern instrumented network. It's there's nothing but numbers. That's why you need AI and automation because there's nothing but numbers. But you can measure everything a million different ways. Yes, sir. So uh, one, thank you uh, for for diving in and talking about metrics because one, I geek out on it, but two, just the logic, right? From the commander on down through the ranks and the echelons, it just makes sense. Right? Data kind of permeates your decision making. And, and I just wanted to um, just ask one more question before we move on to our another series of uh, of uh, inquiries for you. But um, you know, I think a lot of folks believe um, if they're introduced to the macaque for the first time that the makeup of your you know center of gravity, which is your people, is all Marines. Can, can you talk about your workforce a little bit? Uh, you know, is it a mix? Are there all Marines inside the MACOG? Are there some, you know, government civilians there? Can, can you just talk to that for a moment? Absolutely. So we are 59% contractor. We are 23% uniformed military and we are 18% uh, federal civilian, civilian, you know, civilian Marines. Uh, you know, the green suitors are important because you just get flexibility with the green suitor, right? Our civilian Marines, the federal civilians are critical because they're the corporate legacy knowledge. They not only know where the bodies are buried, some of them probably buried them there. I'm convinced of that. And we're very lucky to have them. And then the contract teammates, you know, again, you have different contracts, but you have labor categories on it. So you can change this. So if I need a new skill, I can get a new skill and bring a person in with that skill. We just can't you just can't skill or upskill your Marines and your civilians fast enough to respond in the majority. I'd offer perhaps most cases where you have to rapidly field a new technology. We upskill the Marines so that they go back to the fleet Marine force or the supporting establishment with a higher level of skill. And we upskill our civilians so that they can better manage other civilians, Marines, and our contract teammates. Uh, and some of them, we, they do get exquisite skill sets, but they are for an enduring capability that we're going to have to maintain for a long time. Like if we're making the donuts, we make, if running the network, if operating the network is making donuts, we make the best donuts in the world. But if we need to do tie-dye donuts, the Deputy Common Information uses this with me, Brian, we make donuts. We need to make the best donuts possible and empower the donut makers. But sometimes we need to do tie-dye donuts. And you got to find people real fast with the right skill set to make tie-dye donuts because I want them now. And I'm like, that's probably the most brilliant. I like donuts. Who doesn't? And I'm like, that's brilliant. So I steal that. Uh, I, I, I steal that. I, I absolutely steal that and use that. So that's kind of where we're at. And then we do have a, another employee, Chesty Bot. Perhaps you've heard of Chesty Bot. And so that is our AI. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've not can... heard of Chesty Bot. Need an explanation. Oh, oh it's great. So we've got Chesty Bot. The Enterprise Service Desk has Chesty Bot. So we do have a doctor, a PhD data scientist at the Enterprise uh, Service Desk, you know, Service Desk out there with our, uh, out at our facility there who does a lot of things for us. Uh, and, you know, doctor, data science, he can do some things. Great skill set. So ChestyBot, uh, you ask questions and it basically goes and it goes through all the the playbooks, the uh, frequently asked questions, the FAQs and all of that and can get you an answer. There are actually Reddit threads on it where people are trying to ask it, you know, break it and ask it bad questions. And it says, I can only answer IT questions. Please refer that to your chain of command. But 
people are asking questions, legitimate questions like, you know, what's the regulation on this uniform item? So we have people who are interested. And as we look at these, like, hey, could it answer that? Well, if you give us access to the information, it probably could. That's not what it's for. But it, yeah, it's it's all goodness. It's all goodness. But yeah, so we've got that's our non-human AI employee. Oh, thanks. sir. that's awesome. I just feel like, you know, one, the fact that the macaque is using AI, love it. Two, um, I just think having that diverse workforce across those different labor categories, like there's no way to your point that the Marine Corps could train and then make proficient uh, an individual Marine from ground zero to like the latest emerging tech. So having the ability via people to bring that into your organization is amazing. Yeah. So one of, so for example, we have, you know, a tool and the tool comes with several hundred pre-trained out of the box machine learning algorithms to do discovery on your network, do analytics, right. To help you operate, secure, defend. You can't take something out like that out of the box without some, perhaps some contract support who understands that tool and can get you started. Now, once you understand that and you get experience with it, it has a feature where you can build your own algorithms automatically and train it. So it's just to get you that sprint, do some tie-dye donuts, and then that thing becomes a beautiful plain cake donut that we drink with coffee all day long. I love coffee. It keeps me alive. And that really is how we can use the contract teammates to upskill us. Then they move on to the next hot thing and then our wonderfully talented civilian Marines and Marines can take care of the base, you know, the, the blocking and tackling that's the, the heart of everything, right? And everybody does some tie-dye here and there, but there's sometimes where it's just speed or a capacity issue, and that's where we need them. All right, so I want to ask a, a more detailed question that we don't cover a ton on this cast, right? When we talk about secure, operate, and defend, SOD, we talk a lot about operate. I think the O is our favorite letter of that triad, if you will. But we don't talk a ton about the actual day in and day out of the defend mission. Can you share a little bit more about what that actually means in day-to-day -day operations from your perspective? Absolutely. And, and I'm going to be a little bit purposely vague and generic here, but we'll try yeah, to make it yeah. still. All of this is unclass uh, friendly as we can possibly make it. Right. So, so DCO, you know, when you talk threat hunting, I, the, the fox is guarding the hen house here a little bit. So you can argue in corporate, you have IT who does the whole operate piece and they do cybersecurity, CIO, CISO. You can argue is the CISO with the CIO, is it separate? But a lot of times, you know, and since, you know, eight, late 80s, 90s, there's been insider threat, threat hunting. It has evolved, certainly, but there were early pen testers, that type of stuff. And that used, usually is under like your chief risk officer or somebody who oversees the regulatory part of it because you're testing to make sure that you're uh, uh, in, in lockstep with the regulation you have to do. So for us, we, we do both. So we secure, we operate, we secure, and then we have people who... And again, that's threat informed. Like if I'm going to put IOCs, if I'm going to put stuff into, I could get a Norton subscription at home and it goes in, that's threat intelligence. It's public available threat intelligence that goes in. It's automatic. I don't do anything with it. We get it from everywhere. And we don't just get it from our own network. We have partners, hyperscale cloud providers, other bigs, where we get networks from all these threat organizations who are looking at some of them, trillions, perhaps trillions of endpoints around the world, 
we're getting that filtering it using AI because it's a lot of information. But again, my area of operations is the blue space, but I do care about that area of influence outside and what's happening because if I can see something happening that's trending on the outside my network, that could be the next CVE that I need to protect my network against. So that helps us get ahead. So DCO helps us uh, look at that. Um, we do, there's certain permissions and roles that we maintain up at the MACOG, but our network battalions, our network activities, we've pushed uh, two of the tiers of permissions down to them fully so that they have DCO teams who are able to do it out there. So this is where you see something on the sensors that come back that's not a normal hit. AI filters it, human review. You know, we have tools that we put it into. We look at it. The analysts do their work, right? And the DCO analysts kind of, hey, look at it, get the intel people. And our DCO folks are trained to handle the cyber intel. And they're able to look at it, assess it, and see if it's a thing or not. And then we feed that into our cycle, and it changes how we operate, how we secure, and how we defend. And then we have our red team. So again, they assess, they aggress, and they test. So they can do pen testing, they can go and do assessments, and they can also simulate you know, an aggressor, whomever that might be. So I wanna ask a question that I, I see a lot in the civilian world and, and in traditional pen testing with larger industry. How do you make sure that your red teams, as they are and as you distributed them out, how do you make sure that they don't just do a really good job of identifying issues and then saying, hey, there's a problem here and then moving on with their life? Like how much do they own in the remediation process? So thank you for that. that that's probably the most important piece. So whether we test, assess or aggress, we do a very detailed report and that's always provided back to whomever we went out to assist at an appropriate level that they are able to take action on, right? And if it's classified, perhaps there's some things they saw that we can't tell them, that does go somewhere and it does come back through. One of the big things is when we do a brief for our, like an ops intel update, one side of the slide will be intel, here's the threat, or from the red team, here's what we saw. The other side is the operational response. So. There's this intel, there's a CVE, there's this thing. Operationally, we loaded these IOCs, did these things, took these actions, reported this up, notified these people are watching here. And then on the defense side, you know, that we just spoke about, we are going to look for specific tradecraft based on this or that, right? So it all comes full circle. We hold ourselves accountable to look at it. And then because of Marfor Cyber with our commanding general's authorities, we're able to push things up if it's something where we saw something, say we saw something on Rich's, in Rich's house, we can have our generals say, well, John and Kyle need to do something in their house too. All the way up to Joint Force Headquarters, Dota North, it needs to go up to Cybercom, it could go up there. And I want to ask another question kind of in this vein. So there's been a lot of discussion about cloud and about does cloud bring more or less risk, more or less tooling? Do we trust it? Can I get your personal opinion on, do you think from a defender standpoint, so just with that defender hat on, how do you feel about cloud? So I, cloud is, clouds, I don't care about cloud. I care about data and endpoints, and I care about identity. If I protect identity, and I build a network, right? So zero trust, we mean principle of, you know, least privilege and segmentation, right? But if I protect identity so that you can't harvest credentials, 
You can't move laterally if you get the credentials. If I protect the endpoints and I protect the data at in transit and at rest, then it doesn't matter where it is. You know, people say things like, oh, I'm transport agnostic. And then they argue about transport. Well, if you're agnostic, you don't care. As long as you've got transport, you're good. So that must mean you can protect your identity, protect your data, and know what your endpoint's doing. Uh, conversely, they say, well, you know, ubiquitous transport, which means transport's just readily available and everywhere, which is true, depending on how, how deep your pockets are. So that's how I look at cloud. Now, there's IL2 cloud that we use, right? And that's commercial cloud. So maybe you can get some log forwarding, but you don't have control over that, right? Somebody, one of the hyperscale cloud providers, hopefully is doing that for you. And then there's IL4 cloud. IL4 cloud, right? So NIST standards, IL4 FedRAMP high, and there's IL5, which is unclassified. That's your NIST plus extra things. So in those, we have, you know, the DOD cloud provider for DOD IL5, whether whoever, the Joint Warfighting Cloud Contract, there's four hyperscale cloud providers. We won't mention them, but they provide. <laughs> we don't we have time have to get into the data. As a CSSP, yeah. yeah. As a CSSP, I can go into an IL4, IL5 cloud, six, seven on the classified side and see what I need to see, right? IL2, a little less. But it comes down to d data and endpoints and protecting that to the point where, so for AI and analytics, right, with cloud, if I care about the endpoint, oh, this is this gets crazy. So we have tools. This is where you get into behavioral analytics. So Kyle logs in on his phone hands it to Rich, and then the phone logs him out because the phone knows it's not Rich. Or Kyle logs, into, you know, Kyle logs into his phone, but he's TAD to Okinawa, and it pops for a defender to hey, take a look. Kyle is normally on an iOS, not an Android. Yeah, it's an iOS. He normally logs in at this time, but it's in the wrong place, or it's at the wrong time. So I can make you lock out. I can pop it, and that's behavioral analytics. You know, they're moving the mouse wrong. They're, they're surfing, surfing the web wrong, right? Um, and we're not doing, we're, we have the we have the ability to do that at scale once we figure out exactly how we want to do that. Like it's the constant tension between user experience and security, right? Or or natural harmony, however you want to do it. But so for cloud, that's what we think for cloud. Cloud's important. You have to look at cloud. Cloud has to be built right. So for us, we use we have built landing pads for two of the hyperscale cloud providers in the Marine Corps. And as the landing pads are completely built out. We're going to move, encourage people to move in behind that because then they inherit the security. So they can operate and do what they need to do in and out of cloud. That's cool. I can secure and defend. I care about identity and the ability to sense and scan because then I can protect those things. I can talk about cloud all day long, but uh, I really think cloud just comes down to the data and the endpoints. Identity is the key to that, whatever identity you use. And in the prep for this cast, I heard you in other forums mention two things that I wanted to talk about, threat-informed posture and novel use of intelligence. Would you mind telling the audience what you mean by that? And maybe there's something we can glean from how you're doing that. Yeah, so a threat-informed posture is just constantly assessing the intelligence that you receive. And this could be, say, you get a subscription to a Mandiant or some provider like that, right? or you have your own assets or other assets. It's putting all of that together, looking at what's publicly accessible and thinking about physically, you know, a lot of people just look like, hey, put that indications compromise in, protect against that CVE. I don't fear the zero day, I fear the every day, and that's the user. So, you know, phishing, you can just war dial and social engineer somebody. So it's, it's 
what is the intelligence? It's not just where can a network be penetrated. I'd argue getting penetrated in a network is it's maybe not trivial, but it's pretty darn simple. It's can I get access to credentials? Can I elevate privilege? Can I move laterally? So it's not what intel do I have to secure the perimeter of my network, moats and drawbridges and stuff, which we do need. It makes sense in some cases. But how do I make sure that I have, you know, just in time authorization, just in time access, least privilege, right? I, I spin up a workload. Suddenly I have magic powers to do this thing. And then when I knock the workload down, my magic, I go back to a regular old user, you know, that, that type of thing. So that's kind of a novel way to use the intelligence and look at it, the behavioral analytics piece uh, and, and just getting creative. One of the big things that we've found is, um, and this goes to, you know, diversity of workforce being operational experience. You know, we, we are able to bring in contractors who have very different experience that got them to the MACOG. So they tend to look at it. Maybe they were a pen tester. Maybe they did cybersecurity. Maybe they just, you know, they did network operations. Right. And this team looking at it from all these different angles really, really creates creative solutions. Also, if we're defending and we see something somewhere and like, oh, this is bad, we should close this. There are people, you know, your, some of your past lives, there are people we can tell like, you might wanna know about this thing because you could use it. And, and there are people out there doing offensive cyber operations who may find a thing and say, oh, by the way, uh, you might wanna make sure this isn't on your network or this isn't happening. So that's where, you know, leveraging the full authorities of our commanding general at Marforce Cyber allow us to really look at how we can leverage all the authorities, all the capabilities, and come up with some novel ways to operate, secure, and defend. Hey, sir, um, I, I just want to offer two things before I ask a question. The, the first one is, um, I, I love the fact that you know we're talking about threat-informed operations, right? Because I can remember a day and time where, like, the IT folks in the Marine Corps and the Intel folks in the Marine Corps weren't as tightly wove together as they are now. Um, and it's amazing because I love the fact that we're kind of, I won't say dropping MOSs, but, you know, everybody understands that I have an occupational specialty, but the end state is that, you know, we're going to win and we're going to do it together. Um, so, so that's awesome. Just, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And the second thing I want to say also acknowledge is there was a time in the, in the Marine Corps where folks were like, oh my God, cloud, I got to have all the cloud. Clouds, I don't know what the cloud is, but it's amazing. So to hear the commander of the MACOG say, right, like, yeah, cloud's a utility. It's like electricity. It's there. What I care about is data, identity, right? Like th these are amazing things to talk about on this cast. So I might be showing my age here a little bit and my, my time in the Marine Corps, but, uh, but those were two amazing things to hear. Threat informed, and Cloud's Utility, I'm going to get after warfighting. And to that end, the big question that I've been waiting to ask you <laughs> since the cast started is really um, about lethality. Um, so bluntly, how is the Marine Corps more lethal because we have the MACOG? If you could help elaborate on that, it would be amazing. The information networks we provide allow the Marine Air Ground Task Force of whatever size integrate combat power to break stuff and kill people. Bottom line, uh, it's an 80-20 rule. So with the MACOG, with the battalions, with the network activities, we can do 
the identity, the sense, the secure. We can do the secure defend as the cybersecurity service provider of Marine Corps that allows the fleet Marine force, the tactical units to go out on a tactical extension of the network and they can get wild. They can throw, hey, we need this just-in-time capability. Hey, this thing, it's, oh, we know it's maybe not totally safe, but we can throw it on there because we can sense it, we can scan it, and they can operate. So it's 80-20. So it's we do the 80% that an enterprise brings you, secure, defend, analytics, all of that, so they can focus on the 20%, spend their commanding generals, O&M money on the 20% that actually sharpens the tip of their spear. They shouldn't have to worry about identity. They should just, we provide identity if they need it separate because they want to go disconnected, they, we federate it into them. If they need to be able to disconnect, we just swipe a server from one of the net battalions to their green gear. And when they choose to disconnect, that's the other thing, D-DIL, uh, denied, degraded, intermittent, latent environment. No, we're going to disconnect based on commander's choice, right? To be seen is to be targeted. It's the hunter, seeker, hider, finder, whatever you want to do. However you want to say it, it's the recon, counter-recon fight that our commandant talks about. So you're going to purposely not connect from time to time. So you always want to reach back to cloud if you're using cloud. Maybe you want to have an intermediate cloud server, whatever. Maybe you want to have stacks on-prem forward. So that's one of the ways that we're really doing it. It's a paradigm shift. We don't, I'm stomping out the word customer, right? Even user, I'm kind of, ah, we support warfighters. We support forces. Right. We have cyber maneuver forces. We support support and establishment forces. If we're going to say possibly in you know, some of the scenarios we're looking at, we're going to have to fight from the base post camp station. Then that's support and establishment. That's a war fighting platform. Makes people kind of uncomfortable. They're like, well, Domino's Pizza is there. Yeah, well, maybe we, maybe that's lower on the priority list, but it's, it's the MEF headquarters is certainly high on the priority list. Right. Uh, we, we support warfighters, not customers. Contact services, I started with that. You know, we are in contact every day. I can look and you can see, you know, stuff on the screen. You see more stuff on the screen. Yep, that's them. That's their trade craft, right? So we're in contact every single day. You know, WTI, I talked about WTI, uh, One Tech 24 going on. So it's an East Coast unit. They spin up on the East Coast with 2nd Battalion, get all their gear ready, build everything and all of that. But it's going on in Yuma. That's 1st Network Battalion. It's a forward passage of cyber lines. We push it out there with some second net battalion personnel and where it was, you know, tactical entry point, we push it over into first NB on the fly. I have some DCO folks out there from the MACOG to help bringing additional permissions. And the one thing we're doing with everybody is we're trained. So if you're in the fleet Marine Force, we are going to train you, train you, train you, train you, certify you, and then we're gonna leave you with permissions, right? It may be read only at first. It may be read only because we're figuring out how to give people write permissions because again it's an enterprise one person does a thing you got to make sure you don't take other people down but we are leaving them with permissions and more capability than when we left so that we don't have to send people from the net battalions out with them every single time they can do for themselves i want them to operate i want them to you know we talk about control that it's 2023 control is i have the authority to tell you to do something in a closet somewhere unlock i don't need the key to it I don't even know where the building is. I just tell you to do it and you do it, right? We, ha we have a lot of that at the MACOG. We have that through our commanding general. So I want them to have the permissions to be able to, you know, they go to the net time, they get the permissions to do what they need to do so that they can operate, operate, operate. There are pieces and parts of security that they will do. You have the DCU-IDM companies in the Fleet Marine Force, different tool set, different stair. But if you power, couple that with our DCO SOC, very, very powerful capability. Two sets of tools, two sets of tradecraft, that you know that they have in common but they're they're equipped differently two different stairs on it makes it a lot easier to find you know are we that good the adversary's not there or 
pay that good that we're not finding them. So it really allows us to do that. And then it's setting the theater. So the biggest thing we're doing is we're setting the theater, right? U.S. Indo-PACOM inside the weapon engagement zone, that is the priority theater. However, if something goes down, you have to get there, which brings us back to the continental United States. And we all know, anybody listening to this podcast knows that the logical and the physical are rarely ever aligned. So I can have a tactical effect on a physical thing or a tactical effect on a logical thing. It's like the hidden machine gun in World War One. The attack's going great. We're running out of the trench. We hit a machine gun. It's a very tactical thing, but it has an operational effect that causes a strategic result. I can add to a little, you know, logically tactical cyber thing, the continental U.S. that hurts Indo-PACOM or even in UCOM, right? Because we're, no one understands the cloud. Where, you know, where is it? How does it route? So Indo-PACOM is the priority theater when it comes to setting the theater, but obviously there's a lot of stuff going on globally. We have to pay attention to that and we have to be, you know, defense. You can't be, you can't be strong everywhere. Correct. But in our trade craft and what we do as IT professionals, cyber professionals, I can be secure everywhere. Cyber security, defensive cyberspace operations. That's different. That is at a time and place of my use choosing. That is a specific look against a specific adversary or adversaries against specific tradecraft against insider threat those type of things so you can't defend everywhere but you can secure everywhere and that security buys you space logical space buys you time to respond with the dco and, and that gets into you know deception on your network if you choose to do some deception where you have extra processes if somebody sees credentials it then Moving laterally, that first move laterally, they don't know where they're going. They're proliferated with targets. The first move is probably to something false. So you're pushing up a very high, very, very high percentage first move catch rate. So these are the ways that we're becoming operational uh, and, and fighting it. Um, and the biggest thing is, you know, we lead people, we command units. So I, I, I have the privilege to lead people, but when it comes to cyberspace operations, us, we, ours, but if you'll allow me a second as, the, as a commanding officer to be a little I, me, mine with the accountability that goes with that, I fight battalions. I fight three network battalions and I fight three network activities, right? And I fight, I have some divisions in my headquarters that I fight as well. These are maneuver units. I don't, hey, you go fix a router or hey, you go defend there. Hey, the, the balloon goes up in the Indo-PACOM and 3MIF has to go do a thing. First Network Battalion is in general support of them. They're not gonna be alone. First Network Battalion who's in general support of 1MIF and the West Coast, well, now you're general support reinforcing of Third Network Battalion and 3MIF, which means you're reinforcing them and your general support for the base post camp station because they're hyper-focused on the Fleet Marine Force. Well, what about the West Coast? Well, I got Network Activity Res, National Capital Region, 2nd Network Battalion, guess what? One of you is picking up some general support over there as well, right? So I'm, I'm doing general support, direct support, reinforcing, general support, reinforcing. These are fires. So if cyber, if we still believe that cyber and information could be treated as fires, that's what we're doing at the macaw. That's how we maneuver. We shoot, we move, we communicate. We move physically, we move logically. Right. We're not shooting cyber bullets like an offensive person, but we are in, in placing obstacles, right, to find, to fix, to finish, 
the adversary and then with the Intel piece, assess, analyze to feed back in so we can find, fix, finish. So that's kind of how we're looking and thinking that we're operational. Are we perfect? No. Are we learning? Yes. Do we need the fleet Marine force, the comm battalions, the comp squadrons? Absolutely. Any success we have will be in through and with our Marine Corps installation command, supporting establishment partners, 1MEF, 2MEF, 3MEF, and the fleet Marine force, right? Let us do the 80% identity sense scan endpoint data so that you can operate you, you know, whatever transport craziness, whatever program you need, we'll censor it accordingly, right? Make sure that you're secure, you're safe, and you go friggin' win the fight. Do the 20% that sharpens the tip of your spear. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the elevator pitch, a lot longer than an elevator pitch, on, on the ways that we're operational and how we're thinking about it. I'm actually afraid it gave you a stream of consciousness. But it's a podcast. <laughs> People are dropping. Hopefully they're still it's all good. <laughs> so. We're, that's what we're all about. We're all about, right, is stream of consciousness. But I, I will say this much on the lethality part, um, because I actually thought, whether you thought it was a stream of consciousness or not, I was uh, listening to every word you said in, in great detail. I know the audience was too. Um, I, I did want to offer up one, one comment and then kind of a plug for a, a current event that's going to happen tomorrow. So you know, we talk a lot um, and have on, on former casts about... Um, you know, enabling to your, to your point, the 20%, the, the forward forces to sharpen the tip of the spear for the Marine Corps and for the joint force writ large. Um, and I, I have to say, there's been a lot of talk in, in what people are watching coming out of Ukraine, right? Where IT, physical IT systems like drones and things of that nature are being used on the battlefield. And so I just want to kind of bring to light, you know, this, I'll just call it orchestration of what you do at the MACOG what the operating forces forward do with technologies, right, is is critical, I think, to the next fight or set of fights we're going to get into. You know, and to that end, yeah, I, I would offer to, to the audience, we can put some, you know, a link in the show notes to this. Probably be too late because uh, just the time speed at, at which we, we publish the cast. But, you know, on the 19th of October, because we're recording on the 18th, there is... Uh, the DOD replicator program, which is supposed to create a mass, right, of what I'll call cyber physical systems, you can call them drones, whatever you want, right, in, in order to kind of challenge uh, future adversaries so that we can not produce as many F-35s as we need, but maybe have an asymmetric advantage with lower cost, right, higher um, volume systems. Uh, I know that's a big you know, kind of uh, burning thing that the DOD has to solve. But the reason I'm bringing this up on the cast in relation to lethality is, um, you know, the, the systems that make these things work together and ship the data from the sensors to the shooters, the replicator program is going to be something that has to get, you know, connected or interfaced with all that. And tomorrow on the 19th, the House Armed Services Committee, uh, their subcommittee on cyber innovating, uh, innovative tech and information systems is going to hold an open um, outside discussion on like, can this work? Question mark, the replicator program. So um, obviously you'll probably hear this cast after that occurs, but venture back. I would, uh, you know, think that that would be worth a listen uh, in relation to kind of the things that uh, Brian was talking to on the cast today. So um, sir, it looks like you have a, I comment as well. So, yeah. So, you know, I would just challenge as you all think, think through it. I challenge your leaders to think through, you know, your listeners think through. So 
highly autonomous, risk-worthy platforms. Force design calls for this. It started with Commandant Berger. We're waiting for the Commandant planning guidance from our current Commandant, Commandant Smith. It will probably still call for highly autonomous, risk-worthy platforms. The question becomes, I command those, go, and then they go. Like, how are you protecting? What is your AI bill of materials? How are you protecting the data they're being trained on? What is the software bill of materials for those things? Are they connected by tactical data links? How do you secure tactical data links? Well, once they say go, you're not controlling a drone swarm. They're talking and working together. You may be able to give a command like make a dragon in the sky, but then they have to talk and sense each other to do that. And normally tactical data links and stuff, when it comes back to hitting the enterprise or comes back to some box border somewhere, that's where you can secure it. How do I protect against you know, how do I protect against adversarial patching so that, hey, that turtle looks like, you know, the turtle looking like the rifle, you know, how do you do cybersecurity? How do you actively defend that on small tactical data links with a bunch of highly risk worthy autonomous drones where people are like, ah, we're going to go fly them and smash them into something, maybe like a switchblade, but just a whole bunch of them. So we don't need to secure them. Uh, do we? Security. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Right. I think like the, one of the reasons why I love this cast so much is that we we have these conversations to kind of bootstrap the thought process of both the listeners uh, and hopefully future folks that we bring on the cast. But I just want to say thank you. That whole rundown on lethality, extremely important that on the cast, we constantly talk about warfighting and what it means to the warfighter uh, as our discussion moves forward. So thank you very much. All right. So. I want to share something with all our listeners here. I, I have this term that I use oftentimes. I'm, I'm in and out of the Google ecosystem, and I, I feel very privileged to, A, be able to record a podcast with these two gentlemen and talk to some incredibly smart people and work inside of uh, a team in my day job where I think I'm surrounded by some of the smartest people on the planet. But I always say every now and then you meet somebody and you just know that their brain operates at a clock speed greater than your own. And I feel like this conversation has has just barely scratched the surface, Brian, of all the things that you've had exposure to and, and the depth of experience that you've got in what you're doing at McCog. And I want to give you a scenario here. Uh, so many of our junior officers and junior enlisted folks are looking for how they get into this and how they become more effective. If you're jumping in the time machine, you've got your DeLorean or your hot tub and you're, and you're zipping back to talk to Lieutenant Iovito. Uh, but it's still 2023 because we have to add a lot of flags to this particular scenario. What are you going to recommend that people read or listen to or follow along with? Like, what's what's your reading list? What's your podcast? What's your what's your method for learning new things? So first, I would tell them look at the commandant's reading list and the other service chiefs' reading lists. But I got. As a young lieutenant in the basic school, the commanding officer of the basic school was then Colonel Allen, who became General Allen. And the advice that he gave to us, I, I put into action immediately, and it was choose a subject of war and study it and put it in context of a campaign and become an expert. So in 2000, I began reading about Mao Zedong and the insurgency. I've read every biography. I've read every book of poetry he read. I've gone into Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, with Saw. I've been to Vietnam. So, but I also read about counterinsurgency, start, you know, urban mini manual of the urban guerrilla, you know, South America, everywhere. And then, you know, 2001 happens, 2003, 
You know, 2011 as a communications officer, I find me, myself as the director, J3, deputy commander for operations for the Afghan National Army Special Operations Advisory Group, uh, partnering with training, running the commando and the special forces schoolhouse with a six team AOB and a, you know, Afghan information dissemination operation, Army MISO teams under my command as a deputy commander for ops with third special forces group, right? Uh, I found myself in this. I found myself in the Philippines in 2002, Southern Philippines, Zamboanga, pushing to Bazlan when it was JTF 510, and then the first go round of Joint Force, Joint Force, uh, Joint Special Operation Task Force Philippines, and we're going in, you know, Mindanao, and we're going out in there, and we're trying to figure out where they are. And I found, I literally, I found in my thing a blackjack Persian, General Persian, the early years when he was fighting there, and I looked at the maps in the back that were sketched from his sketches, and I'm like. You've got to be kidding me. And I go and get a map of where we're operating. And that's where they were. So you never know. Read an old book. Um, but I would tell you, you know, read that podcast, find podcasts that like this, you know, have a, a couple of those that you listen to religiously so that that's how you build broadness. Then find some tech podcasts that are no more than 10 to 15 minutes with headlines and just quote from all different sources. And that's how you kind of build, you know, broadness versus podcasts like this, build your depth and then read books. Like for every book you read, there's another one. So everybody, you know, read Tocqueville, right. On democracy about America, but everybody forgets the sister book by Astolfe de Custine, the Count Custine Frenchman who went to Russia with memorable quotes, like everything in Russia is deception. And he writes about going through the countryside, following the wagon of Catherine the great. And they would build way off the road facades of villages, like in a movie set where it's just the front. So she would, and people would go out and play the happy peasants at a distance. I mean, it's, it's, it's all right there. You know, India, uh, we, you know, read Clausewitz, sure, but read Sun Tzu, read uh, Kaitua, the Atakanga from like 1200 AD or 1200, whatever we're saying now, CE, which is how the, you know, in, you know, some of the Indian empires actually ran their empire in that whole Indo part of the world during that time. Read Sun Tzu, read other things. A lot of Korean, you know, a lot of people who of Korean descent fought battles. Read about Genghis Khan. The largest empire in the world was the Mongol Empire. The Mughals in India were Mongols. Largest empire in the world, we can learn from them. It wasn't, you know, anybody else. It wasn't friggin' Napoleon. So I just say, you know, find something you like. For me, it was irregular warfare in all its glory and it just happened to be a Chinese bet. So that just conveniently fell into my lap. So I didn't do it on purpose, but try and figure it out. So hopefully that helps. That's awesome. Thanks, sir. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review and accompanying comment. With that, we are out.